This is Laura Lummer, the breast cancer coach. I'm a healthy lifestyle coach, a clinical Ayurveda specialist, a personal trainer, and I'm also a breast cancer survivor. In this podcast, we talk about healthy thinking and mindfulness practices, eating well, moving your body for health and longevity. And we'll also hear from other breast cancer survivors who've re-engaged with life and have incredible stories to share. This podcast is your go-to resource for getting back to life after breast cancer. Hey everybody, this is Laura and welcome back to episode number seven, Weight Management After Breast Cancer. The struggle is real. Before we get into this episode, I just want to mention that if you follow my podcast, then you may have noticed that I didn't post anything new for the whole month of May. And if you don't follow my podcast, it would be awesome if you could take the time to go to the iTunes store or go to my website and hit the subscribe button today. The more people that subscribe to this podcast, the more it moves up in the rankings in the iTunes store, and it makes it easier for other breast cancer survivors to find this show as well. So that being said, let's get back to my absence in the month of May. You know, when you make a decision to put yourself out as a public personality for any reason, mine obviously being recovery from breast cancer, most people don't realize how much work goes on behind the scenes, and that would include me. So after working on starting my own business for over a year, which includes this podcast, writing a book, and all kinds of social media engagement and other things behind the scenes, everything kind of came to a head for me in the month of May. I was planning a big event, and two of my children became very sick, one so much so that she was hospitalized for a few days. And no different than anybody else or everybody else, my life just sometimes gets in the way of what I really want to do. And as much as I love doing this podcast, as much as I enjoy my work as a breast cancer recovery coach, I think it's really important to acknowledge that the struggles that we go through in life are real for everybody, and I'm no exception. Another facet of putting myself out there in the public, at least for me, is that I really want to focus on things that are positive and solution-oriented. You know, when we come through breast cancer, we need something to lift us up. We get out of treatment and, you know, we can be left in a bit of a disarray, looking for direction and feeling lost. So I like to be motivating. I want to inspire people. I want to highlight people who are doing amazing things. But I believe that it's important to be transparent as well. Because I want to reach out to everyone who's listening to this podcast, who reads my blogs, who follows me on social media, And I want to connect on a level where we're all really clear on the fact that life is not easy for anybody. Some things are harder for some of us than others, of course, because we all have different challenges and we all have different coping mechanisms. And although that is a reality, it is my passion to support others in finding happiness and health through those challenges. So this month I'm back. And I have a plan to make sure that when life becomes overwhelming in the future, it doesn't get in the way of my podcasts. But, you know, who knows? Is that actually going to work? I don't know. I don't ever claim to know what's coming in this amazing and unpredictable life. But I'm going to do my best to remain consistent going forward and get these podcasts out to you every two weeks. So since the theme here is being transparent, I'm going to talk with you today about something that I normally don't talk a lot about publicly, again, because I feel like it's a little more about highlighting struggle than it is about 
focusing on moving forward and looking at things that are positive. But I've learned that by sharing my struggles, it not only helps me to connect with others who are dealing with similar situations, and it helps to support them in finding successful resolutions. But sometimes it also just feels good to know that you're not alone by hearing that someone else is struggling with something similar to what you're going through. When you feel like you're the only person who's going through something, then you think you're doing something wrong or sometimes you just think you're a hot mess. And that's exactly how I felt when it came to managing my weight during and after breast cancer treatment. So I'd like to share my story with you today so that you understand that even me as a health and fitness professional, a certified personal trainer, a certified weight management specialist, and all the education and training that I have in health and fitness and nutrition, post-treatment weight management has been a real struggle for me. You know, just because you understand the science behind diet and exercise doesn't mean that that science is always going to work for your body type. And that's been a really tough lesson for me to learn over the past several years. If you downloaded my book, The Six Habits of Healthy, Happy Cancer Survivors, you know I addressed some of the issues of weight gain in the book. And I talked about how I try to focus more on being healthy than I think about being thin. But let's be honest with each other. Again, in the spirit of transparency, ladies, uh, we like to look good. When we gain weight, when we're outside of what we perceive as our ideal weight, and we won't even consider putting on pants that don't have lycra in them, or our tummy gets in the way of the poses we do in yoga class, it's frustrating. It's uncomfortable. And it can undermine our feelings of self-confidence and self-esteem. And for me, especially when I'm trying to be an example of healthy living and vibrant breast cancer recovery, uh, it was really important to me to be at a healthy weight. So many of you who are listening to this podcast now have had surgeries on your breasts. You may have had your breasts removed as I did, and you had to process how that affects your sense of femininity, your sense of confidence. And then you add extra weight onto the tummy and anywhere else that resulted from treatment you went through from chemically induced menopause, or maybe even the treatment that you're continuing to be on, like tamoxifen or other hormonal therapies. And you're on them because they're reducing your risk of cancer and you want to save your life. But you still have to deal with some pretty profound mental, emotional, and physical effects. And then worse yet, It's been my experience that many health professionals don't empathize with our plight when it comes to weight gain. They try to use the same old laws of thermogenic reasoning, and they think that you're sneaking ding-dongs in the middle of the night, or you're not telling them about something you're eating. And you know what? I believe you. So if you're having that struggle right now, and you're telling me that you're doing everything you can, I believe you. Because I know from my own experience that there are other factors at play here. And I'm not even sure what all of those factors are. But someday, the studies are going to get around to figuring out what all that chemo really does to us long-term. And a lot of people in the health and fitness profession, I believe, are going to have an awakening and maybe even owe some apologies to people. That being said, I'm going to talk about my story. After my first surgery... And in the discovery that the cancer had spread to my lymph nodes, I was told that I had to go through chemotherapy. 
So the nurse who was getting everything scheduled for me, and she was uh, to meet the oncologist and get me all set up for chemotherapy, and she said to me, you know, Laura, the good thing is that you can eat or drink anything you want between now and start of your chemo. You can go ahead and plump yourself up because when you start treatment, you're going to lose a lot of weight. So take these next few weeks. I had about three and a half weeks between the time that uh, this appointment was happening and when my chemo would actually start. And she said, just go ahead and enjoy everything that you wouldn't normally eat. Okay, well, you don't have to tell me that twice. I may have mentioned before that I love me some good food. I am a foodie. And I thought, okay, yeah, I mean, I deserve this, right? This sounds like a good deal. I've got three weeks to just eat and drink and have fun and get ready for going into this experience that I'm really dreading. And so I'm going to take advantage of it. And I did. I gained 10 pounds in a little over three weeks between my surgery and the beginning of my chemotherapy. But I told myself it's okay because not only am I going to lose weight, but I'm going to lose a lot more than 10 pounds. And I remember, you know, back in 1993, when my brother went through chemotherapy, he lost over a hundred pounds. And I was so, I was really sure that no problem here, you know, I'm going to be really thin. And no matter how much I gained now, by the time I finished chemotherapy, I'm going to have to gain more weight back just to be a healthy size, right? So I went out, I had fun, I spent that um, three and a half weeks uh, drinking martinis and eating creme brulee and getting ready, just fattening myself up so I could lose it all in chemotherapy. And then the, finally the dreaded day came. I had my chemotherapy appointment uh, for my first infusion, the orientation appointment for my first infusion. Yeah, and uh, whew, I can remember my heart beating so hard. It felt like it was in my throat. And at the same time, so heavy, it felt like it was in my stomach. I was sitting there and it took everything I had in me not to get up and bolt out of that chair because I really had no idea what this chemotherapy was going to do to me. I did not want to be poisoned, I, but more than that, I didn't want to die. So I sat there and I was trying to listen to the doctor over the voices in my head that were screaming, run, get out while you can. And I thought I heard something that didn't really make sense. And I just stopped for a second. And did I hear my doctor just say that I could expect to gain 25 pounds or more? So whatever was going through my head at the time, when that statement came out, it snapped me out of whatever I was going through. And I remember stopping my doctor mid-sentence and saying, hold on, what do you mean I'm going to gain weight? Don't you mean I'm going to lose weight? I mean, I'm supposed to walk out of here bald, pale, skinny. I'm supposed to look like Gollum from The Lord of the Rings, not like some corn-fed farm girl. Like, what are you talking about? How is this going to happen? And so, you know, my doctor went on to educate me that apparently um, in the time between when I saw my brother go through chemotherapy and the time I was going through chemotherapy in 2011, it had changed a lot. So maybe chemo hadn't changed that much, but there was actually a lot of uh, the pharmacopoeia of drugs that had been developed to manage the side effects of chemo had actually changed. So now I could expect to continue working. I wouldn't have to be hospitalized. And I should tell them about any single thing that came up and popped up because there was a pill for just about everything and every side effect that might happen to me in chemotherapy. 
But those pills combined with all the steroids that I would be taking to manage these side effects were most likely going to cause me to gain weight. Especially, add to that, I was 48 years old, which meant that the chemotherapy treatment would probably throw me straight into menopause. And then my hormones would begin to wreak havoc on me in addition to my chemotherapy. Sounds great, right? I bet some of you out there listening have had a very similar experience. And uh, I got to tell you, I was not happy when I heard I needed to have chemotherapy, but I was really sick to my stomach when I heard that I was going to have to go through chemotherapy and gain 25 pounds or more after I'd already gained 10 pounds, celebrating the fact that I was going to lose a bunch of weight. So to say the least, this was very disheartening. Uh, but, you know, I have a very optimistic nature and staying true to myself. I just, I talked myself down. I said, you know, Laura, it's going to be fine. It's just the average. It's a statistic that he's telling you. And that's something that they have to tell everybody. You know, you have a clean diet. You're going to continue to exercise through this whole treatment. You're going to be fine. But again, staying true to my nature of overachieving, I fell way beyond the average in the scale of weight gain. So instead of gaining 25 pounds, I gained 40 pounds. You know, I can remember going into those appointments and stepping on that damn scale every time I had to have an infusion and thinking, my God, I didn't even gain weight this fast when I was pregnant. What is happening here? My mouth is filled with sores and blisters. I'm sick to my stomach all the time. I'm in the bathroom battling some unmentionable for hours every day. I barely eat because it's so uncomfortable. And then I just get sick anyway after I eat. How is it possible that I keep gaining weight? And the doctor would just shake his head. I don't know. I told you, you could expect that. Well, if the laws of thermodynamics say that calories in versus calories out is the way to lose or gain weight, then somebody needs to go back to the drawing board because the calories in were not exceeding the calories out and I was packing on the pounds. But again, in my attempt to stay positive and to look for the silver lining, I would just say to myself, it's okay, Laura, it's only temporary. This is a result of the steroids, and the steroids are helping to manage the symptoms of the chemo, and so you're still able to work, you're able to continue to participate in your life, and I would give myself permission to just let myself off the hook. Don't stress about gaining weight, and I would just know, and I would tell myself when this chemo is over, on December 30th, 2012, I would just have to wait three weeks to let that whole cycle of cell death and recovery get through me, and then boom, right back to normal, right back to the gym, right back to the program, right? I mean, I had a juice cleanse planned, and you know, I live in Southern California, so that's a thing here. I had a workout schedule planned that was going to ease myself back into some high-intensity training, and I even convinced myself that it was going to be a fun challenge. You know, like the book you may have heard of is called Fit to Fat to Fit, about a guy who was really fit and then purposely gained a bunch of weight and then tried to lose it again and the challenge he went through losing it. And I was like, yeah, that that's going to be what I'm going to do. I'm going to be that example from fit to chemo and cancer and back to fit. And that was a story I told myself because it was a story that I could live with that helped me get through my treatment. And um, thinking that way... Help me get through everything until that time came when the chemo was over. 
I gotta tell you, I was so excited for that date. And it was kind of neat because the date was, you know, December 30th. So it's like I finished chemo. I get to start a new year. I'm going to be done for that new year. I've got all of these plans and I'm going to get back into my life. And uh, it was a really exciting time. Boy, I think it was like kind of, you know, graduating high school or something. I just felt like, ah, I've accomplished this and I'm done and I'm moving forward. And my doctor told me that everything would go back to normal over and over, right? Uh, you know, these things are just temporary side effects, temporary symptoms, and when you're done, everything goes back to normal. So I was looking forward to just throwing out that bag of pills that was helping me to manage everything. I was going to be done with that heartburn medication. I was going to be done with that Effexor I was taking for all the numbness and nerve damage in my hands and feet. I was going to be off steroids. I was going to be done with chemo. And even though I needed to go on tamoxifen, my doctor told me that this was a really well-tolerated drug and that I shouldn't experience any side effects from it all. So, yes. Free, free, free at last. That's what was in my head. I had a bilateral mastectomy that was scheduled for March of 2012. And so in my head, I kind of had this plan of how much stronger I was going to be by the time that surgery happened, how much weight I was going to lose, how much more fit I was going to be. And I was going to just do nothing but focus on regaining my health for that three months and bam, I bounced right back from that mastectomy in no time. It's going to be the most remarkable recovery ever seen, right? So chemo was over. I went through that three-week cycle. I tossed out that bag of meds. I picked up my two-week juice cleanse. And I just want to stop at this point and interject that when I look back on what I did, it's so interesting to me because... I'm really not a fan of cleanses. I believe that your body functions well and it cleanses itself the way that it's meant to do. And I had always had a healthy body and I didn't like the way that I was feeling after chemo. So I was kind of panicked and I really just was reaching for straws and I went against my own knowledge, my own understanding, and I drank the Kool-Aid. I drank the juice for two weeks. For two weeks, I drank nothing but juice and these little tiny baggies of sunflower seeds and dried fruit that I could have in between for a snack if I really, really was hungry, which I was starving. I was having horrible headaches. I was weak, and but I was determined. I was going to wash all these chemicals out of the tissues in my body with this green, gingery, peppery, crazy juice that gave me indigestion so badly that I was eating Tums constantly and my blood calcium levels got so high that my oncologist told me I had to stop eating Tums. But that was okay. Uh, To me, it was going to be worth the suffering, right? This was just like the first step to that road to recovery, to feeling good and feeling energized. And I woke up one morning and I had a blood vessel had popped in my eyes. You know how your eye gets that crazy red? I look like Rocky Balboa. And I just imagined that it was from the intense pressure that I constantly had in my head because I was so hungry. But I hung in there. I completed the two weeks and I didn't lose a single ounce. Not a single ounce. Talk about deflated. I drank things that tasted like soap for two weeks had headaches and nothing changed. Well, I'm fully aware that two weeks is not a long time, but 
because I thought I'd at least lose a pound or two, or I thought, you know, I'd get energy back. You always hear from people that go on these juice cleanses and live on juicing, and they talk about so much energy. So I thought I'd see some kind of a difference. Nothing. I had no difference. And add to that, that in my infinite wisdom and in my, mm, I'm not sure what you would call it, stubborn arrogance, I did throw out my prescription bottles and said, you know, put that chemo behind me. And what I realized very quickly is that those prescriptions were masking the damage that chemo had actually done to my body. And now, without them, I was in so much discomfort I was walking around like a 95-year-old lady. Every bone in my body hurt. My joints were painful and inflamed. The neuropathy, the numbness in my hands and feet was so intense. I had a really difficult time just navigating through the day, and I was still 40 pounds overweight. But not to worry. I was determined. I knew I would find another path. And certainly something popped up. A good friend of mine who uh, I play bunko with, had discovered uh, this liver cleanse. She went on this liver cleanse. She lost 25 pounds. She got her husband on it. He lost 20 pounds. She got her sister on it. She lost 20 pounds. And I thought, oh, this is it. Obviously, my liver has been through all this stress of trying to detoxify all of these chemotherapy agents, and that's got to be what it is. I just need to get my liver back moving. So I'm working and supporting it, and I called this doctor who created this cleanse. He was a chiropractor, if I remember correctly, and I gave him my history. I told him everything that I had been through and what I was struggling with, and he told me, of course, that that cleanse was exactly what I needed and that not only was I going to feel better, but that I was going to lose at least 20 pounds as all these toxins were just flushed from my body. So, once again, I drank the Kool-Aid. I spent a couple hundred bucks on this cleanse. I took shots of disgusting fresh-squeezed lemon juice mixed with olive oil a couple of times a day. I ate the digestive enzymes. I took the probiotics. I followed the extremely low-calorie food plan that made me feel miserable. And a month later, I was hungry. I was tired. I was a few hundred bucks more broke. And I was still 40 pounds overweight. So at this point, it was time for my mastectomy, and uh, there were months of recovery, reconstructive surgeries that followed that. But I've always been a believer that weight loss happens in the kitchen, and fitness happens in the gym. And even though, of course, exercise contributes to burning more calories, it supports weight loss, but I know that even though I was going through all these surgeries and I was really not able to exercise and especially not with any kind of intensity, that I could still focus on my diet because it was going to be, that was the key to losing extra body fat. So I focused on my food and uh, in fact, I found at that point a local company to prepare my food for me because I had been focused on it for so many months without success. And you really just start to question yourself, right? I think, what about all the stuff I learned? And, you know, why isn't it working for me? Maybe I'm doing something wrong because I'm not even seeing any change in the composition of my body. So I went to a professional, I handed my nutrition over to this company, and you know I, I looked at what it was that I needed to eat, uh, what they had to offer, and they made my meals for me. 
it was prepared, pre-measured, pre-cooked, pre-packaged, and I followed that plan to the T for six months, and I lost no weight at all, nothing. So lucky for me, I am a very stubborn person, and when I set my sights on achieving something, it's pretty rare that I give it up. But we don't have that much time to go into all the things and all the research that I did in, in the span of this podcast because we're talking about the period of about five years. You know, watching that food from 2012 when I was going through all those surgeries and then in 2013 getting really back into some uh, intense workouts. And so I'm going to give you just the Cliff Notes version of it and I'll touch on some of the things that I did. I went back to my GP. I had my thyroid tested. That was fine. I went to an endocrinologist to see if she could discover something that maybe only a specialist could see. And so I went through all of that blood work and uh, she didn't exactly do nothing. She gave me a vitamin program because I was low in vitamin D. My insulin was high. uh, My blood sugar was high. You know, there were all these things that were out of whack. So she gave me this vitamin program and she says, we need to support, you know, your kidneys. We need to support your liver. We need to get all this stuff back in check that's been thrown out because of chemotherapy. And in doing that, in supporting the body on a cellular level, we're going to kind of let it know that it's okay, body, the stress is gone, and you can let go of this weight now. And so I dropped a couple more hundred dollars more on vitamins, and I followed this vitamin program. And by that time, I was back to regular exercise, kickboxing, Muay Thai four times a week, lifting weights, doing yoga. And so my personal level of activity had gone up dramatically. Think of, you know, the year before when I was just going through surgeries every couple of months. And now I was exercising any day. So again, the laws of thermodynamics should have come into play, right? But they didn't. And so I think that one of my biggest frustrations for me and I've talked to other women who've had this experience too, is that I would talk to my oncologist and my GP about what I was struggling with, and they would say to me, oh, huh, I don't hear that. Or, oh, yeah, I don't know why that's happening. No, that's definitely not related to what you've been through. And yet, I was hearing from dozens of women from other survivors that they were experiencing the same thing, that they were finding it so difficult to lose weight. And especially ones who were my age, who had gone into menopause as a result of their cancer treatment. I talked with people whose wives, whose mothers, whose sisters were struggling with the same thing. My GP said, you know, try the Mediterranean diet. And my oncologist really just kind of shook his head and would kind of giggle and say, oh, I don't know. So I... I was working with a trainer, or talking, not working with, I was talking with a trainer potentially to hire, and he insisted that it was something that I was stuffing in my pie hole. And so that made me want to stuff my fist into his pie hole, but I didn't. I just kept looking because I was determined to find someone who would understand that I was doing everything I possibly could. I was following the rules, I was exercising, I was eating clean, and I wanted someone to say to me, I know what you're going through. I see this all the time. Here's what you need to do. And the closest that I came to that was just talking with my plastic surgeon, my reconstructive surgeon at one point. And she did say to me, you know, Laura, I have women in my office every day telling me this. 
In fact, the day we talked about it, she said to me, the lady that was in here before you was sitting in the chair you're sitting in crying because she's so frustrated that she can't get the weight off. And she, you know, she said to me at that point, you know, we've spent several months as you went through chemotherapy trying to kill you, bringing you to the edge of death and then bringing you back in order to kill the cancer. And so you have to realize that your body has been through a tremendous stress as a result of that. And you have to give it time. Sometimes, she said, 18 months, sometimes three and a half years, sometimes longer. That's not what I wanted to hear. But at least she made me feel like I wasn't crazy. You know, I wasn't lying. She didn't assume that I had a ding-dong hoard under the bed, which I didn't. So, you know, I continue to work out because I love working out. Exercise is good for me. It makes me feel good. And I definitely was getting stronger. I was getting my energy back. And I just kept telling myself, as I tell other women, it's not about losing the weight. It's about staying healthy. It's about not getting cancer again. That's why we keep doing it, right? That's why we're eating well. That's why we're exercising regularly. And we can't allow ourselves to get so frustrated at the lack of weight loss that we give, give up on healthy lifestyle habits. So, okay, I'm going to digress here again because when I talk about that and I say, you know, it's not about losing weight, it's about being healthy, it reminds me of one of the most ridiculous comments that people make to cancer survivors. And if you've heard this, which I bet a lot of you have, I just want to, I just want to talk about it. So... I'm sure that people say these things only with good intentions, but if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a cancer survivor, please hear the comment that I'm about to say and don't ever say it to another survivor again. So you know you're talking to somebody as a cancer survivor and you're expressing your frustration with losing weight and they turn around and they say to you, well, just be happy that you're alive. Okay, how does that make sense? How is it okay that if you have not had cancer, you can be frustrated with your weight and you can try to lose extra body fat? But if you have had cancer, you don't get to be frustrated and you should just be glad you're alive. People, ladies, these two things are completely unrelated. It's like love and sex. It's mutually exclusive. I mean, I'm very happy to be alive every single day and every single moment of every single day. But I would still like to lose the extra body weight that I'm carrying around. And it has nothing to do with not being grateful for being alive. So I just want to put that out there because I know I've heard other people have some things like that said to them. And I just want you to know you're not alone and you don't need to put up with it. So make sure the next time somebody tells you that, that you help them understand the reality of that statement, okay? All right, so let's go back to the saga. Uh, You know, a couple other things I did, I went to a chiropractor who specialized in a technique called emotional release. It was emotional release technique is what it was called. And it's a really specialized um, treatment that some health practitioners do, and it's designed to kind of help your body release stored emotions from trauma or just subconscious blocks and different things that you're not even consciously aware of, but that may be affecting your health. And it was a really cool experience and a really cool treatment, but I still didn't lose any weight. And so I started refocusing on the menopause aspect. And what is this menopause thing doing to me? And, um, How is it affecting me? What can I do? And 
I, I started to work with a trainer who specialized in working with breast cancer patients, and he was awesome. And, you know, he really helped me realize that over the course of trying to figure out my diet and trying to figure out why my body composition wasn't changing, I had started to dramatically reduce my calorie intake. So much so that I was oftentimes eating below a thousand calories a day. And I, I don't even, I'm not even sure how I got to that point, you know, but that's where I was at. And so we looked at that and um, brought it back to my awareness. And so we started to add in more calories. And he worked with me to tweak it a lot. We worked with macronutrients, higher protein, lower carbs, higher carbs, higher fat, lower fat. And we just kept moving and tweaking the macronutrients that were in my diet. And I started to see a little bit of a weight fluctuation. I'd lose two pounds, but then I'd gain a pound. And I'd lose a pound, and then I'd gain three pounds. But at least something started to shift. So during this time, I knew a couple of people, and I saw that they were having some really considerable success following a ketogenic diet. But I had understood from all of my reading and research that having a lot of fat in the diet after cancer was something that you wanted to gravitate away from because having a lot of fat in the diet could change the intestinal flora and maybe even increase the absorption, the reabsorption of estrogen, which is something we as breast cancer survivors and especially as estrogen, progesterone positive or uh, sensitive breast cancer survivors, you know, we want to avoid that. So the success that I was seeing in these people, though, was really remarkable. I mean, dropping, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100 pounds or more, and very easily and very rapidly. And so I started to do some research. I wanted to get a better understanding of what a ketogenic diet really meant and how it actually worked. And I came across some information that shocked me in the most wonderful way. I came across some interviews with a gentleman, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, and he's an assistant professor at the University of South Florida College of Medicine, Molecular Pharmacology and Physiology. I had to write that one down to make sure and get it right here. Uh, this guy is smart. I mean, listening to his interviews, he is just smart. In addition to that, he's in amazing physical condition. And his lab studies the effects of different metabolic therapies on brain cancer and metastatic cancer, among other things. But the information that he has to share is so remarkable that once I started listening to one interview, I just started searching out all interviews by him. I listened to everything he had to say. I read some of the books that he recommended. Um, I listened to podcasts where he was being interviewed and other podcasts about the ketogenic diet. I read cookbooks, and I really started getting excited, and I decided that I was going to give this a shot, that... Um, I discovered that a ketogenic diet is not only not a risk factor, but it's actually proven to have substantial benefits for cancer survivors because it helps the body transition from using glucose or, glucose or blood sugar as the primary source of energy to using ketones as the primary source of energy. Now, I, I'm not going to get too scientific when it comes to the differences between those energy sources here on this podcast, but let's just say that, and this is a gross oversimplification, ketones are something that your liver makes when there's not enough blood sugar to give you the energy that you need. So 
Again, that's a dramatic oversimplification. So what I will do is post some resources in the show notes of this podcast on my website. So for those of you who do like to do research and get a better understanding of the science or biology behind this um, and how it works, I'll have those resources there for you. So there's actually a lot of really great science out there about the ketogenic diet. And a couple of books that I have read really sold me on its validity uh, from some very renowned scientists. And I'll post those books and resources on the show notes as well. But the, the primary benefit here is to understand that cancer cells grow in the presence of sugar. So they have to have glucose in order to survive. And in fact, cancer cells can absorb glucose or sugar, blood sugar, at a rate of up to 200 times more than a normal cell normally does. And that, that's pretty amazing. So when you're consuming a diet that's really high in fat, such as the ketogenic diet, and very low in carbohydrates, the glucose that's in your blood mostly gets used by your brain and your red blood cells. And then the gap in energy is filled in by the ketones your body is producing. So it helps in that there's not all this extra glucose, glucose, I keep tripping over my tongue, glucose floating around in your blood for some random cancer cell to start absorbing and thereby growing and reproducing, right? So uh, these studies, which in our next podcast and number eight, I'm going to go a lot more into the ketogenic diet and the beneficial effects that the studies are showing that this diet has on cancer and on cancer survival rates, because it really is impressive. And I think that uh, a lot of, I think more people need to know about it. You know, I'd heard about this diet, but I thought, oh, it's some kind of a modified Atkins diet or something, but I'd never heard the science behind it with regard to cancer. And so we're going to talk in a lot more detail on the next episode about this. Uh, you know, when I found out that information, I was really surprised that I'd never heard about it before. I was surprised that my doctors didn't tell me about it. I was surprised that I... I wasn't hearing more about it in just the circles the of survivorship that I did move in. And, um, you know, I was just surprised that none of the health professionals that I engaged with also had ever mentioned the positive effects that this diet had with regard to cancer patients and cancer survival. So I'm going to wrap that up and tell you that I started the ketogenic diet on the last week of April, and this is now, what, this is June 10th, and I've lost eight pounds. Now, I've lost inches in my hips, waist, and stomach, and I've read many cases where people experience, especially in the beginning of a ketogenic diet, a much more dramatic weight loss than what I have. But I'm not complaining because for the first time in nearly five years of consistent effort, I'm seeing a decline, a consistent decline on this scale. I've lost an inch and a half in my waist. I'm not having any bloating. I'm not taking Tums or Prilosec. I haven't taken a Tums or a Prilosec in over a month. And let me tell you, that's remarkable because I've had very intense um, 
heartburn and digest and digestion issues since you know finishing chemotherapy. Uh, my hot flashes have dramatically decreased. I don't experience energy lows in the middle of the afternoon. My joint pain has improved. The fatigue has improved. So I have to tell you that I am really excited about eating this way. Uh, and I'm so excited that I've told my sisters, I've told my husband, and uh, even though we'll go into more detail on the foods and stuff that that are that comprise the ketogenic diet next time, I want to just um, talk to you about some of the results that I have seen already with my sisters and my husband because it's really amazing. So my husband started a week after me, and you know the change in his energy is remarkable, and he's lost twenty five pounds. Three of my sisters are on this, on this, I call it a diet, but nutrition plan. They're changing the way that they're eating. It's not just a temporary state of being. They're really trying to, to change and incorporate a new lifestyle. And one has lost nine pounds in just two weeks. Another has lost 10 pounds. Another has lost four pounds. So you can see there's a big range there. And that depends on, you know, what's going on in your body on how well you're going to respond. But, you know, we're all, it's so exciting and everybody feels really good about it. And we, my sisters and I, share this text message thread, this group thread with each other where we send each other pictures of the delicious, you know, creamy, high-fat foods that we're eating. And we share recipes and just celebrating the continued successes and rapid successes that we're seeing. So, you know, I realize that a ketogenic diet is not going to be for everybody because some people aren't going to be comfortable eating that high amount of fat or they just don't find it appealing. But I think it's important to point out that some people are more carbohydrate tolerant than others. And so some people may not need to use a ketogenic diet. Although, as I talked about earlier, the benefits that are that science is showing in regard to that diet and cancer survival is something that people definitely want to take a look at. But for those people who, like me, are very intolerant to carbohydrates, this diet is well worth looking into. And so I feel like the word carbohydrate has been vilified so much so that whenever we hear it, we automatically now think of donuts or cookies and white bread, but that, that's just not the case. So my diet was very clean, even though it did contain carbohydrates, but those carbs were in the forms of vegetables, fruits, quinoa, whole grains, whole wheat bread. And, you know, I always looked at, at that as a balanced diet and been a believer in that balance. But after the research that I've done and the experience that I'm having and the family history that I have, I'm definitely becoming more aware of this term of carbohydrate intolerance. And it doesn't mean that you eat crappy carbohydrates, but it means that any or certain levels of carbohydrates, regardless of where that carbohydrate is coming from, may need to be limited depending on your level of carbohydrate intolerance or your ability to digest and metabolize these carbohydrates, even if they are healthy carbohydrates. So at this point in my diet, I have berries pretty much every day. I have a green, green leafy vegetables. I usually have a big salad in the afternoon. And I keep my total carb intake below 40 grams a day. But when I have these salads and these vegetables, I always have them with something fatty. So you're keeping the fat content really high. I'm not having grains or legumes or any um, kind of 
whole grain at all. And I think what's most impressive about this diet is that the food that you consume is so delicious and satiating that you literally don't even crave carbohydrates. Sometimes if you get a taste for something that's a little sweeter, there's lots of ways to satisfy that urge. Um, I often turn to berries and have blueberries with a little bit of cinnamon and some heavy cream poured over them or whip up the whipping cream and put a dollop on top and just sweeten it up with a touch of vanilla instead of sugar. That's also delicious. So let's go back to this concept of carbohydrate intolerance. I think it's something really important to start thinking about. Because, you know, a lot of terms that we hear are insulin sensitivity, insulin resistance, and of course, you know, those make perfect sense and there's a lot of science behind them. But thinking about carbohydrate intolerance takes us just a little step further. And it asks you to think about why your body is having an insulin response, why you're consuming high amounts, uh, or because you're consuming high amounts of carbohydrate, which triggers this insulin response. And certain amounts of protein will also trigger that, but not as much as, or as quickly as dietary carbohydrate. So let's look at what insulin does, how it reacts to dietary carbohydrates. First, insulin regulates glucose levels in the blood. One of insulin's responsibilities is to keep your blood sugar levels in the normal range. And it does this by moving glucose out of your blood and into your cells for either energy or for storage. And when there's more energy than the body needs for its current level of activity, insulin will store that extra glucose in fat cells in the form of triglycerides. And that's how we start to get fat. So for me, in my family history, really points to me having a predisposition, a genetic predisposition to carbohydrate intolerance. Uh, there's a lot of obesity in my family. My father was a type 2 diabetic, morbidly obese, lost his life to different comorbidities that were caused by his diabetes. I have overweight siblings, and I have a family tree of heart disease as well. So this is one of the reasons that throughout my life I was so fo focused on nutrition and exercise because I didn't want to end up having a life of dealing with diabetes and heart disease. However, thanks to the science of epigenetics, we know now that even if you take all of the right steps towards a healthy lifestyle, if you have a genetic predisposition to something, those healthy lifestyle choices can help you prevent those genetics from kicking on, from turning on, and beginning to express themselves into those diseases. So let's say if I'm genetically predisposed to this heart disease or to type 2 diabetes, but I'm engaging in very healthy lifestyle practices, those genes may never start acting out, right? They may not start behaving badly. They might just stay in check. But we also know because of epigenetics, that if you're exposed to some extreme emotional, physical, or chemical stressor, such as chemotherapy, such as cancer, such as multiple surgeries in the matter of a few months, that this kind of stress can turn those genes on, regardless, completely independent of your healthy lifestyle choices. And then those genes can begin to express themselves in ways that lead to that full-blown disease. And so, you know, I'm no doctor. And not even close, but I really believe that's exactly what happened to my body. So in the show notes page of this podcast, another thing I'm going to show you are images that show you, it's like a graph that I get from Quest, the little app that Quest has that records all of your blood, uh, your blood tests and your different 
different levels of blood sugar and cholesterol. And I'm going to show you an image of a graph that demonstrates what happened to my blood sugar and my cholesterol levels as I was going through chemotherapy. It's like crazy. It's really kind of cool to see because it's amazing to see it just go up and down and all over the board as I was going through chemotherapy, whereas I had no issues prior to that. And then you can see the struggle of keeping my blood sugar in check over the course of several years after chemotherapy to finally in the last year or so where it's really come down and and it's been at a nice normal level. And so, you know, during that time, I really had to fight and struggle really hard with good nutrition and exercise to bring that down and to not have to go on to prescription drugs to manage it. As some of my doctors, you know, wanted me on metformin or cholesterol-lowering drugs, and I was like, no, I'm going to do this through diet and exercise. I know I can do it. And I did, but it was a lot of work, a very concentrated effort. So... Um, We're going to start talking in more detail about the ketogenic diet next time uh, because I do want to share the science behind it and the results that are being found to give you a lot more information on how it could be beneficial for you as a cancer survivor. So I'm not just going to talk about it from a weight loss perspective either, Um, although we do know that the more you can control the amount of body fat that you're carrying around, the lower your risk of getting a recurrence of cancer because fat is a very metabolically active tissue. So it's not like it's a bad thing to think about getting rid of extra body fat, and we're certainly not talking about, you know, making that um, some kind of a focus area and be so concerned about being skinny, okay? So I want to make sure that I point out, again, I am not a doctor. I am not a registered dietitian. So that said, any information that I'm giving you is from my own personal experience. It's from stories I've heard from others, but it's from my personal experience of testing and changing and tweaking. And even though I have a health science background, I'm not qualified to give medical nutrition information. So if you hear me talk about something on this podcast and or you find something in my resources, I want you to make sure that you check with your doctor before you make any dramatic changes in your diet or your lifestyle. Your health, your safety, your happiness, and your well-being, those are the primary concern. So I hope that my sharing my story of my struggle with weight has I don't know, reach somebody, helped you, help you to know that you're not alone if you have the same struggle. But I also want you to know that if extra body fat is a concern because of your own sense of confidence and self-esteem, or if it's a concern because it's related to cancer recurrence, don't give up. Keep asking questions, keep trying, keep learning, keep tweaking your diet and stay consistent. I know it's tough. I know that it is, but I also know that you can come out on the other side. So make sure you're staying away from processed foods. Get rid of that white sugar, white flour, bread, cookies, sodas, any kind of food that comes in boxes or bags when it shouldn't. That stuff has got to go first. And if you don't make any other changes, start with that. Get rid of processed carbohydrates, processed foods out of your diet. And then start paying attention by mindful eating practices. Check in with your body to see how different foods are affecting you, how different foods affect your energy level. And notice if you walk around with brain fog most of the time or if you get brain fog in the afternoon and how when you change different foods that may affect your energy levels. I believe that your body gives you many signals. 
on what is good for it and what is not. And you just have to pay attention. So you'll know when something's working and you'll know if it isn't, if you're paying attention. And don't feel like you have to stick with one thing if it isn't giving you the results you want. If it isn't making you feel like you have enough energy to get through your day, to actively and happily participate in your life at whatever level you choose, don't stick with it. And don't feel bad for bing bonging from this to that. Keep moving forward. And be sure to listen to episode eight because we're going to talk in detail about the ketogenic diet and its benefits. I'm going to give you some food ideas and I'm trying to get together a little test menu plan for you. So hopefully I'll have that ready by episode eight. And ladies, I just want to reemphasize that I know the struggle is real. Life is difficult sometimes. Weight management is difficult oftentimes. Menopause, aging, hot flashes, family, work. It's all out there and it's all a part of our lives and it's a lot to balance. But it's easier to balance if you understand that others are looking for ways to balance it too. I know there's a lot of brilliant women out there listening now who found ways to achieve success and balance and to find happiness on a daily basis. So look for me on Facebook at Laura Lummer or on Instagram at The Breast Cancer Recovery Coach and become a part of our community. Like my page, follow it, and we'll become a stronger community of survivors who can share their wisdom and support with each other. So on that note, I do have some exciting news about support, and that is that I will have two openings in my one-on-one coaching to take on two new clients at the beginning of July. So if you're interested in working with me personally, shoot me an email now at laura at lauralummer.com and let me know what you'd like to work on. My personal clients receive guidance, custom programs, two hours a month of one-on-one coaching via Skype, so we can work together no matter where you are. And if you're struggling to get back to a healthy life, to get the life you desire, reach out to me now through email, laura at lauralummer.com, and let's take that leap from surviving to thriving. So I want to shout out to Beauty Counter for making this episode possible. I love being a part of the Beauty Counter mission to get safer cosmetics into the hands of every woman. And if you aren't familiar with their amazing line of skincare and cosmetics, check it out at beautycounter.com forward slash Laura Lummer. As cancer survivors, we have to be diligent in understanding what we put in our bodies and what we put on our bodies. The cosmetic industry is so poorly regulated and it exposes us to so many toxic chemicals in the name of beauty that we sometimes overlook its safety. But fortunately, Beauty Counter gives us beauty, effectiveness, and safety all in one. So check it out. Thank you so much for listening. It's been my honor to deliver this podcast to you. And if you enjoy listening to it, please take the time to subscribe in the iTunes store and to leave me a positive review. So it'll be easier for more breast cancer survivors to find this show. Have a great week. And remember, let your lifestyle be your medicine. Before your heart is full and wanting more, your future's at the door. Give it all you got, no hesitating. You've been waiting all your life. This is your moment.